Welcome to Common Thread. We hope you find these lessons helpful, but also we'd like to get to know you. If you go to our website slash newcomer, we'll send you an email, some things to read about the community, and an invitation to a personal chat. If you're here in Raleigh, maybe face-to-face. If not, on Zoom. We hope you will. CommonThreadChurch.org slash newcomer. Okay, here's the lesson. And then holding on to healthy spiritual community. We've seen the perils of too small a group kind of being having too much power. We've seen the peril of mob rule, too many people having too much capacity to hijack the direction. We've seen what happens when spiritual discernment is neglected and decisions are made just by voting. So here's something that has really helped us a lot. Also, we have had uh, Angie. And Angie spent 28 years teaching civics and teaching history and is deeply steeped in how institutions work and when they fail, how they fail. So her term on the board was actually finished uh, at the beginning of last year, but she stayed on for an extra term because this is the work that the board has been focused on. So she's kind of an expert in the field. So if you would please tell Angie how much we appreciate her because our future is so much brighter because she's been working on this with us. So say thank you, Angie. Testing, testing, okay. I have two things off script to say, and then I will get on script, um, or at least what I have prepared for today. Um, good morning. I'm thrilled to be here. Um, the first is that Doug is running for school board, and he has a campaign kickoff on Tuesday at Tony Everett's house, and you are all invited, and I put an uh, invitation on the community bulletin board on the app, so you don't need to bring anything. Uh, we might ask you if you want to donate at the door, but you don't even have to do that. We would just love for there to be a, a visible show of support for Doug as he works to help us fight for public education. Uh, the second one is I have my water bottle today because the last time I spoke uh, to the community, if you remember, it was kind of extemporaneous and unplanned, and I asked my daughter, Caroline, afterwards how it went, and she said, it was fine, you just made this noise a lot. And I was like, oh, I just did it again. And, um, and she's like, it was kind of annoying. And I was like, I think it was because I was thirsty. Um, so you'll notice I have my water bottle. And I'm going to be think, I'm going to think about that today. And um, also you'll notice uh, Caroline is not here today. So <laughs> I've, I've really solved that problem in a couple of different creative ways. Yeah. Okay. Um, so today we're um, going to be talking a good bit about the governance of the church going forward. Uh, some of you just likely thought to yourself, like, crap, why did I come today? This is super boring. And to a degree, I can see, see why some of you may feel that way. Um, governance sounds like rules, and who the heck likes, likes rules? Uh, well, actually, if you study the Enneagram, sixes like rules and ones, and to them rules means order, and they like order. But I digress. Uh, some people do like rules, though. Governance can also conjure that other dreaded concept, uh, institutions. Us Gen Xers uh, are supposed to hate institutions, and I'll admit I used to have a healthy skepticism about them. But now I freaking love them. 
even if I can see how they can go astray or get entrenched, and we've had lots of reasons in history lately to have seen uh, how that happens. So I'll explain why in a moment, and I'll explain how that relates to us here in this community. But first, let's just take a moment to understand how wild it is that I'm even up here talking about church governance. Back in 2007, I had pretty much decided that churches weren't necessary. Participation in church had never brought that much value to my life, to be honest. It did bring a lot of doubt, fear, and guilt. Believe it or not, in my extended family, it was a bit of a thing when my Baptist dad married my Methodist mom, and he moved to the Methodist church in their hometown. I think that drama left a bad taste because when we moved to Houston, Texas, we didn't go to church. When we then moved to Atlanta, we did start going to church. And I remember going to vacation Bible school around the age of 12 for the first time. I became very invested in being seen as a good girl. Nice. I was a people pleaser. And even wrote, unprompted, a very holy and earnest poem that was then used in the closing ceremonies that week. I remember that we had revivals in the summer, and we would go to church for nights on end. The big event on the last night was an altar call, where they invited people to come be born again. And I remember feeling very emotional and kind of scared about what was happening and why. It seemed like a lot of people were acting in ways I did not anticipate. We moved to Raleigh before I entered high school, and we bounced around to a couple churches here. By the time I got to college, I was pretty sure that God was either an asshole or not at all what people were saying. The whole story of God creating a world, giving us free will, and then letting us burn in eternal fire if we didn't pick right just made no sense to me whatsoever. I mean, I wouldn't treat my dog like that. Some classes at UNC Chapel Hill with Bart Ehrman scholar of the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Gnostic Gospels, pretty much sealed the deal. I could not go to a church with such screwed up doctrine, and I didn't know of any churches that were not teaching that doctrine. So I decided the only option was to become what I called a church of one. The Church of Angie, I guess. <laughs> Looking back on it, it's so funny that I even thought that could be a thing. It didn't involve any real intention, rituals, and clearly a church of one can't involve community. (laughs) I contrast that with what Scott Shackleton taught about when he he, uh, talked about church in his life at that age. It was all about community and not so much about doctrine. My experience was totally different. In our upwardly mobile, suburban-dwelling, corporate-coupled family, I never really experienced community in church. In my mind, at that time, church was just a set of ideas. And therefore, my church of one was built on a foundation of, well, just ideas. That's all it had. Even stranger, the ideas were not actual claims of what is indeed true. They were just reactionary ideas about what was not true. I wasn't sure about what the nature of reality was. I was just sure what it wasn't. And so from 1993 to 2011, I attended the Church of the One of the Great Refutation sporadically. 
but stridently. I guess it was around 2011, having had two daughters, uh, that I realized I had a different problem. Much as the doctrines and narratives of modern Christianity troubled me, I realized my kids might be at a distinct disadvantage if they at least did not know about them. Being a social studies teacher, I was very aware of how Western literature, art, philosophy, and history all lean heavily on that knowledge. I often sat in art history classes and realized, dude, if you didn't know about the basic stories of the Bible, most of the art and symbol the professor was talking about was absolutely incomprehensible. So I hatched this plan where I would find the most tolerable church, <laughs> expose my kids to it, and then deconstruct everything they learned in the car on the way home. <laughs> Something like that. It wasn't that well thought out, and I hardly remember how I thought that was going to work developmentally. Uh, I mean, for God's sakes, they were five and three. <laughs> After visiting a number of churches, I stumbled into this place, but back then it was on Ray Road, five minutes from my house. That was a lot more convenient, by the way. Um, I was intrigued. I remember going to introduce myself to the minister man, and he seemed not too concerned about me coming back. <laughs> Which was exhilaratingly refreshing. <laughs> Later, I would hear the phrase, there is no coercion in the spiritual life. And that makes perfect sense to me. A great faith community should not require a high-pressure sales pitch. So that $30 ad campaign we're doing monthly is starting to make me a little nervous, to be honest. <laughs> but I have faith we'll do it right. The big takeaway after just a few months of attending here was that actually church need not be about doctrine. We don't need to agree on every aspect of the divine, how it manifests itself, what happens when we die, why we suffer. For millennia, that had been the thing that separated churches from other organizations, by the way. I taught that in sociology. When we got to the part about religion as an institution, the lesson went like this. How are churches different than other social organizations? They have a theodicy. Three questions are answered. How we got here, why we suffer, and what happens to us when we die. If you try to answer those three questions, you're a church, not a club. That's the way we taught it, okay? And when we, when we would talk about the world's five major religions and how they answered those three questions differently. Cool, but it's clear now that plan isn't working out great. Every time we have one little adjustment to how we answer one of those three questions, we create a whole new religion or denomination. And it's getting confusing and fragmenting. Here at Common Thread, it became clear that the answer to those questions was less important than the mutually supportive and loving community you could form around seeking those answers for yourself. We could have a community that focused on working the circle, learning practices, service, community care, contemplative practices. And we all really needed to agree, and all we really needed to agree on is that there is a divine energy at work in the world and in us. That commitment alone would be enough to get us to work together, treat people well, accept people unconditionally, grant them grace, and gain some new skills in the process. 
If you ask me, what is the most significant development in your life in the last 10 years? It would be this place, these tools, these insights. I've come to understand myself better, understand others better. I practice contemplation, reflection. I found peace, patience. And most importantly, I see how funny and whimsical life can be when you put your ego aside, live authentically more in the moment, and can just laugh at the absurdities we humans create. I value this place. I value these people. And I want more people to have what I have found. I think the world would be a better place, or at least it would be easier for folks to live in it. Organizations are great. They help us get things done through collective effort. I've been through a part, I've been a part of several organizational foundings. Actually, as a one, I'm embarrassed to admit how many organizational foundings I have been through. Where three or more are gathered, we can have an organization. For info or ideas to be transmitted, though, across generations, you need institutions. So at some point, I became invested in the idea that this organization should become an institution. Because I really like the ideas and processes we have created together, and I want them to continue and evolve and be passed on to future generations. So um, when I taught about formal organizations and bureaucracies, institutions actually have specific characteristics, and they're pretty rare. Uh, those characteristics are all activities relate to the purpose of the organization. First one. Second one. There is division of labor. Third one, there are processes in place and routines for getting things done. Fourth one, everyone is replaceable. And the fifth one, there is a process for decision-making and implementation. Now, if you're looking at those, think about to yourself, which of those we are doing well here at Common Thread and which ones might need some shoring up. The first one, all activities relate to the purpose of the organization. You might be like, uh-oh, uh-oh, that Dungeons and Dragons group or the brew crew pose a problem. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, they're part of building community. We've made great strides on two and three. But <laughs> four and five, that's our growth opportunity. Every organization transitioning to an institution faces the founder's dilemma. In order for an organization to transition to an institution, they have to be ready, they have to ready themselves for the big transition. When the founder of the organization steps back, let's be clear, Doug will always be a part of this community and assume key roles as long as he is living. <laughs> and now, and right now the organization really could not function without Doug. Um, he's really important to decision-making, implementation, and day-to-day -day operation of the church. Less so 
than three to five years ago. But still really important. We need to create processes and structures that will enable him to offload more and more of those responsibilities, and so the organization can navigate through the transition and successfully emerge as a functioning institution. A word of caution. My dad happens to be an elder in a church within the Presbyterian denomination. We uh, share an office and sit just three uh, feet apart from each other, and I hear him, he's the head of personnel. And I have had a front row seat to observe how very bureaucratic and institutional that denomination has become. It literally takes two years to complete all the process steps involved in hiring a new pastor. My takeaway from that experience is that we need some structure and processes, but this is a Goldilocks situation. We need to get the mix of structure and functionality just right. And we can all play a role in advising us to create that perfect mix. The first step is creating a board structure that is more vested with decision-making functions. The second step is making sure that body has the information and perspectives to make the best decisions, including hiring. And the third step is to determine what jobs they will be hiring. The current board decided we should start by drafting some bylaws that would create a plan for those three needs. The board has approved the draft, and now we're ready to get input from the community. Here's a quick tour of the document, and then we will ask you to read it. And you have homework. <laughs> so let me, uh, this is what you call the anticipatory set of teaching, where I give you a little uh, introduction to your homework so you get excited about doing it. <laughs> You can imagine how that worked in high school, but I have high hopes for this class. <laughs> um, there will be a five-member board vested with significant authority like hiring and budgeting. When Doug steps away from a full-time role, we are proposing that they actually replace him with two people. We knew Doug was special, but now we know for sure. It's going to take two people to do what Doug does uh, rather effortlessly, it seems, uh, now. The two people will be a thought leader, like a teacher-in-chief. And then the second person will be an operational leader, like a chief executive. When the board is tasked with making significant decisions with, community, with significant impl implications for the community, we propose that they must seek input from the, com from the community in two ways, a congregational assembly and a community of elders. Anyone invested in the long-term well-being of this community can offer input as part of the Congregational Assembly. Anyone who has held leadership positions or served as paid staff can be considered an elder. We propose that we elect an elder leader each year and that board members serve two-year staggered terms. Another element to look for is that any decision of the board can be appealed to a three-person body of elders assembled as an appeals body. All right, so this is just a quick appetizer, and we hope it leaves you hungry and uh, with a lot more questions. We hope that curiosity drives you to actually read the document. It is not long, just a few pages. In drafting it, we kept a careful eye out to maintain separation of powers, checks and balances, 
and an eye towards creating structures that could stand the test of time. Here's how you find the draft. You go to commonthreadchurch.org and you click on the clipboard. And then you will see the bylaws and you can read the proposed bylaws there. And then you will click on give your feedback and you'll fill out, fill out a quick form uh, about your feedback. Okay? Now let me just uh, explain the organization of the document. Uh, I'm not terribly creative here. It mirrors almost exactly the um, Constitution of the United States. <laughs> Why recreate the wheel? Okay. Article 1 is coming, actually. It's in development. So well, the, where the Constitution has a preamble that kind of says, like, the big, the big picture, Article 1 of this document is going to be a statement of values, okay? Because the organization always needs to be true to its values, and that's actually what the Congregational Assembly and elders are driving the board to do, is hold them accountable to uphold the values that we mutually uh, hold in high regard here. So... Article 1 is still in development. Uh, Doug and mainly Julie Thompson have been working together to make sure that we have a strong foundational value statement. Article 2 is basically like the legislative branch. Okay? It's the Congregational Assembly as discussed. That would be kind of like the House of Representatives, I guess, in some way. Um, it's the most democratic uh, body. And then the elders, that's most like the U.S. Senate, if you think of it. Um, and but a key, key element of that is that the legislative branch is focused not on voting so much as providing input, qualitative input, more so than just raising your hand and voting, if you understand what I'm saying. So the purpose of the legislative branch is really about bringing perspectives to help the board with discernment. All right, then Article 3 is the board. The board is like the executive branch of the body, and um, it's their, they, their decisions are binding. And then Article 4 is all about relations with other organizations. So what are the standards we're going to use for what organizations we ally with and how we're going to decide what organizations we support with our funds. And then Article 5 is all about how we're going to amend this document. And then Article 6 is about how we're going to collectively ratify this document so that it does become the governing structure of this organization. Okay? So we're asking you to uh, read it, think about it. I'd, what I would love for you to do is read it and then give it some time. Okay? See what bubbles up in your consciousness. See what is troubling your heart. And then think about what your takeaways are, and then fill out the form, okay, at the time that you have s had some time to kind of let it distill in your brain exactly what the document is saying. We want you to submit your comments by September 4th, because in our September 4th board meeting, we're going to, to look at all of your input and comments, and then revise the document based on those comments. And then by October, we want to move this towards a ratification vote and process. Um, January 1st, every year, we'll start a process by which we pick an elder leader for the year. Okay? And then 
Uh, also, every year there'll be two or three board members that need to be chosen. Okay, so once this is ratified, then we'll start uh, January 1st, we'll start this process of trying to make sure we have the people in place to do uh, the organizational work. Okay, um, I know we're not going to do the usual like get in small groups uh, after uh, I have Doug come up. We're going to just do a kind of um, what are you thinking time, kind of like more traditionally than we used to do earlier. So be thinking about what questions you have at this point, and then Doug and I together are going to help field some of those questions. Okay? For now, I'm going to turn this over to Doug. Need this? in the next, well, I'll pack this up. When I got to 50, I had grandkids. And I realized how quickly 50 had gone, and I looked at them, and I realized how quickly 50 was going to go. That they were going to be living in a very different world. And so I started thinking differently about what happens in 10 years, 30 years, 50 years. And so the work we could possibly be doing together this fall can impact people over the next 50 years. So, indwelling divine, may we do it well. Amen. All right, we are uh, going to dismiss uh, the folks on a line in a moment. And uh, here's the thing, Scott's going out to the lobby right now to open up the Zoom for you all. And uh, before you go, here's the thing, if you would get ready your offerings. We, uh, we all give online now. If you go to our website at the top of the page, there's a donate button, lots of options, lots of ways to do it. So if you're here in Raleigh or if you're from far away, we do invite you to take an ownership stake in the community. Uh, remember what I say all the time, that it is always a good return on investment to invest in community. Because when we do that, we give our time and our energy and our love and our dollars, and the community takes those resources amplifies them and gives them back to us in the form of an environment in which we thrive. So it's on the website. It's about as easy as can be. And as we dismiss you all, uh, we do hope you'll go to the Zoom here in the room. Instead of groups, we're just going to open up the floor. Scott's going to be doing the same on Zoom. So join in. We'd like to hear your input as well. The link's on the front page of our website. And if you've hung in this long, we're just going to tell you what the password is. It is 1417. Don't be a troll. 1417. We will hope you'll join in. And if you would, let us uh, dismiss the folks online. When I use a handheld, I never know how to do this. All right. Put your hand on your heart. No, put your hand on your heart. <laughs> and let's remember as we go that every one of us are carriers of the indwelling divine. Love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, they're in us because the divine spirit is within us. And if you would extend your other hand to our, to our city, uh, <clears throat> just as a matter of point, you might not want to do it this way. You might want to do it this way. <laughs> Only because implications Never would have thought of those implications, but recently we've had to start thinking about those implications. Extend the other hand this way. <laughs> Let's look for opportunities to share what's in us with the people that we live and work 
and go to school with, looking for opportunities to repair and heal our worlds. Amen. God bless you all. Go to the, the Zoom. And those of us in the room, what are you thinking? What is stirring up in your heart? Angie, come on up. We'd love to connect with you in real life. CommonThreadChurch.org slash newcomer. And if you'd like to take an ownership stake in the well-being of the community, we all contribute online. You'll find a donate button at the top of our website. See you next time. We'd love to connect with you in real life. CommonThreadChurch.org slash newcomer. And if you